Welcome to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. We hope you enjoy the upcoming podcast and hope this time is empowering, inspiring, and helpful as you pursue the dream God has put in your heart. The participants of this podcast are not attorneys, and this recording is not to be considered legal advice. Please contact your local attorney's office where needed. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to Beyond the Call, the podcast in which we talk about topics that help churches and ministries protect what God has called them to lead. My name is Christine, and on today's episode, we will be discussing how to grow your legal foundation within a church or ministry. Joining us today is Stevon German, the Director of Operations here at Start Church. Stevon, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor. Yes, definitely. Well, we'll just jump right on in. Cool. So should pastors incorporate their churches? Well, Christine, more than ever, establishing your church or your ministry as an ecclesiastical corporation is of absolute importance. Uh, Many of the companies will tell you that starting a church is just like starting a business. While the process may be similar, there are many nuanced differences between starting a for-profit corporation and a church. One major difference between a business corporation, such as an LLC or an S corporation, is that a nonprofit isn't owned by one person or even a group of individuals. So how does that work? In order for a church to be able to transact business, it must become a legal entity in order to transact business. A major benefit of being incorporated is that once incorporated under state law, the church is afforded limited personal liability protection known as indemnification. Talk us a little bit more in depth. What is indemnification? Uh, The church has to show that the pastor and board of directors do not act for themselves when church decisions are made, but rather as directors of the church and on behalf of the church. This is commonly known among legal circles as of having a corporate veil of protection, sort of like an umbrella. That's nice. Put your umbrella on top of you, you don't get wet, you know, typically, unless you have a hole in it, of course. (laughs) Um, This is also true for any nonprofit or business that chooses to get incorporated. And that's a great point and leads us actually into our next question. So we know it's important. How does one incorporate? There is a process. uh, So we will say that for sure. Um, The process of getting started is kind of twofold. When you start the organization, whether it's a business or any type of nonprofit, uh, there are at least two levels to register. Typically, you're going to have a state level of registration and then a federal um, level of registration with the IRS. Uh, Each state has its own requirements for what needs to be uh, detailed in the Articles of Incorporation. Uh, Most often, this document contains information like the name that is intended for the corporation, the purpose of the corporation, uh, the name and address of the registered agent, so the person that's going to be speaking on their behalf and accepting mail, things of that sort, uh, and the information about the nature of the nonprofit or the business itself. So you would say if someone's really interested in getting incorporated, they really need to look at what their state is requiring first and figure out what needs Mm -hmm. to go down with Mm -hmm. that. Because every state is different. Some may have a charity registration. Some may require you to have a business registration. It's just so many um, facets. So definitely reaching out to the secretary of state. Oh, that's good. And then you mentioned this just a little bit ago, a registered agent. Can you explain what a registered agent is a little bit more in depth? Yes, we get that question quite often when we have our interviews here. Uh, A registered agent is a person who resides in the state in which the organization is going to be incorporated. 
This person must have a physical address in that state and acts as a contact person to receive notifications about the nonprofit from the state. So if I say, hey, Christine, let's go into business together and start a soup kitchen. Well, we're going to have the soup kitchen in California. One of us has to either live in California or we have to actually register with a company. So we have a physical address registered um, with our organization. I gotcha. That makes so much sense. <laughs> Hey there, listeners. Did you know that obtaining your 501c3 status is one of the best steps a church can take? This protects not only the church, but also its donors. For this reason, our Start Right service helps pastors complete both processes of incorporating their churches and getting their 501c3 approval. You don't have to carry the burden of preparing bylaws, articles, and IRS applications by yourself. Instead, let our team of consultants walk you through the process. It would be our honor to serve you. Call us today at 770-638-3444. And now back to the podcast. So with that, are there any IRS requirements for the Articles of Incorporation? Yes, absolutely. Uh, The IRS requires specific language to get Articles of Incorporation approved, and that's going to fall in your purpose statement and also disillusion. Uh, This language is referred to as the organizational test requirements. The IRS requires this because it proves that the church meets the exemption requirements of Section 501c3. Because the state does not usually require the same language as the IRS, the church has to then file articles of amendment and add the organizational test language. This causes delays and a lot of extra money. So if you can catch it on the front end, (laughs) just go ahead and take care of it, you know, at that moment. Um, The IRS will not allow a church to apply until that language is included. Uh, At minimum, the language should contain a purpose clause. So what exactly are we doing? Like, what is our purpose of this organization? A disillusion clause stating that the remaining assets will be used exclusively for exempt purposes, such as charitable, religious, educational, and or scientific, and what we refer to as the no-no-nots, right? So this is what's going to happen if this organization dissolves. So let's break those down. Yeah, I was about to say, break those down for me because I don't know what those are. I always tell my pastor, just break it down in layman's terms, please. All right. So the purpose clause, the purpose clause states the reason for formation and provides the scope of activities an organization will undergo. This is not to be confused with a list of activities. These are different, uh, which is merely how an organization plans to accomplish its purpose, right? Um, So someone could say, okay, I want to start a soup kitchen. The purpose of the soup kitchen is to support the community. Well, the activities in that soup kitchen may, we're going to hand out dinner, you know, every Friday night. We're going to have out breakfast Mm -hmm. every Monday night. Those are two different things. That's a good clarifier. Yeah. Yeah. So the following items should be included in your church's purpose clause. Language that clearly creates a religious ecclesiastical corporation that allows your ministry to expand into a wide array of activities. Uh, Language regarding the licensing and ordination of ministers. If your church or ecclesiastical ministry desires to ordain ministers, this is a must have. It causes a lot of headache for them later as individuals if they decide they want to go into getting some of the benefits from the IRS. Um, A blanket statement to cover all the necessary, suitable, or convenient activities related to the purpose. Uh, A statement that the corporation is organized and operated exclusively for religious purposes within the meaning of Section 501c3 of the IRS Code. 
Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. That is a lot, <laughs> but that's good to know. So and then we'll hash out more in depth. You mentioned a dissolution clause. Yes. So walk us through. What is that? Yes. Um, the dissolution clause, um, this is the clause that explicitly states where the assets of the corporation will go in the case in the case of dissolution. So the money and the assets of a nonprofit organization must be permanently dedicated to another tax exempt purpose and cannot exist to benefit any individual or group of individuals. Mm, yeah. uh, we recommend a clause stating that all assets remaining after the payment of debts and liabilities. So basically they're debt free as an organization. Um, once those are paid off, it shall go to one or more organizations, which are also exempt according to the 501c3 code or code 170c2 of the Internal Revenue Code. Um, so if I say, okay, we're going to dissolve the pantry, any monies that we have left over after we've paid our bills, paid off whatever debt we have, let's just say we have $1,000 left in the bank account, um, we recommend that you take that $1,000 and donate it to another nonprofit. That's yeah. the easiest way to remember that one. That's good. That's good. And then you mentioned no, no, nots. So talk <laughs> us through that. What is that? Yes. So you have no, no, nots. Every nonprofit corporation, churches included, should explicitly state in the Articles of Incorporation that it will abide by IRS standards as a tax-exempt organization. This is known as a nonprofit language, and we commonly refer to it as the no, no, not. So basically, we will not do this. We know we won't have this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very long section, but short version is no, no, not. <laughs> right. That's good. That's easy to remember. So then once the articles of incorporation are filled out, where do you send them? Yes. Uh, typically, the articles of incorporation, once they're completely filled out and signed and there is a filing fee, uh, they will go to the Secretary of State. Now, there are some states that you have to go through the county first. Then once you're approved at county level, then you can go over to the state. And that's so, why it's so important to read yes, up initially yes, what's required yes, for each state. Exactly. It's all exactly. Different. <laughs> exactly. Uh, once the state has approved the document, then the church or the ministry can, uh, in, ens in essence, function for itself, right? That's so they great. can go and get a bank account, you know whatever uh, next steps are going to be for them. Yeah. Uh, for all intents and purposes, receiving approved articles of incorporation back from the state, it's sort of like getting your birth certificate when you're born. You know, my organization is brand new. Now I have a birth certificate. That's essentially what the approved articles are. Yeah, that's good. Um, once the articles of incorporation have been approved, your church, ministry, or nonprofit is in official existence. Yay! So you can clap and give yourself a round of applause. Round you of applause. did it. Right, <laughs> yes. And then last question, what is the purpose of an FEIN number? Okay, so I'm going to break it down in legal jargon, and then I will come back and give the layman's term. Yes, thank okay? you. <laughs> thank you. So most people don't know what the FEIN number stands for. And to be honest with you, I had kind of forgotten for a little while, but it's the Federal Employer Identification Number. So most people hear EIN. Most people don't say FEIN. They just kind of forget the letter. Um, but it does stand for Federal Employer Identification Number. And it involves filling out an application. It's a really short application. It's called a Form SS4. And you submit that to the IRS. Uh, the FEIN is simply an identification number for tax, banking, and credit building purposes. Uh, this number can be compared to a person receiving his or her social security number. Uh, and the church will use this number mostly for the same purposes an individual would. Uh, so opening a bank account, establishing credit, I'm trying to file all pertinent tax and uh, informational returns. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned earlier, I would break it down and it, I already said it's like your social security number for the organization. So instead right. of putting your number you put this business number. So it kind of starts to separate it out a little bit. Yeah. 
Uh, the number um, becomes your organization's tax identification number. Uh, with this number, along with your articles of incorporation, you're able to open a bank account in the name of the organization. So now, Christine, you don't have to use your own personal bank account. Now you have your own business bank account. You did it. Okay? That's good news. Next step. Yes. <laughs> Okay, um, this number becomes your organization's tax identification number. Uh, with this number, along with your articles of incorporation, you're able to open up your own bank account in the name of the organization. And once you've opened up your bank account, you can begin to receive donations. So great job, Christine. You've moved from your personal bank account to an organizational bank Yay, account. Yay, my you soup did it. kitchen can go on <laughs> its soup own. Soup kitchen can open a bank account now. <laughs> That's so good. All right, now. When you're applying for the FEIN, um, one of the most simple uh, steps, honestly, it's one of the most simple steps in this entire process. It's very easy to do, um, but not everybody knows exactly how to fill out the application, which is totally fine. That's what we're here for. Right. Um, but doing so incorrectly can lead to severe problems. So specifically for churches, you have to write and type in certain information and select the right buttons in the application. So for example, uh, if you're going to have a ministry designation, then the IRS would expect you to submit a Form 990. If you're a church and not a ministry, churches don't have to submit 990s, but ministries do. So there's right. little, little things like that, that in the application they ask, and you have to answer it the right way. Um, there have been instances of churches incorrectly obtaining their FEIN, uh, waiting several years before applying for their 501c3 status, and then receive a revocation letter from the IRS all because of a simple mistake in obtaining the FEIN. Uh, this is one reason why it is so important to correctly obtain your FEIN. And I did know someone personally that, that happened to, oh, um, no. you know, he got set up for his church and thought everything was great. And he went to, you know, get a grant and found out that he was revoked. And after doing some research, figured out that his EIN was registered as a, a real estate business oh instead gosh. of a church. So it was a whole process, you know, oh, so it's wow. very, very important to know what you're doing. And if you don't, it's okay. Call the experts. We're here. We can help you. And then you don't have to have that headache. Uh, really? Exactly. And I was actually going to bring that up. So talk us through a little bit. Part of the start rate service is this, yes. right? Yes. Yes, it is. So, and that's just what we do. And it's what we love yep. being able to do and help with pastors and even ministries. Yep. Make sure none of that extra drama happens. Exactly. It is the one key to the start right program that I truly, truly enjoy just kind of on a daily basis not just being able to help pastors and ministers really pursue the vision that God gave them, but know that they're doing it correctly and know that their foundation is set properly. Yes. Uh, it's nothing like standing on that soft, sandy ground and never knowing if you're going to just dump in or if you're right. going to actually be firm and you can build on that. So having a solid, firm foundation is is a joy for us to be able to assist with them. So if you need help, give us a call. Yes, definitely. And again, that is our Start Right program. So if you're curious, definitely give us a call. You can call us at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. Stevon, it was amazing having you on the show today. Thank you so, Aww, so thank much. You. I enjoyed it. I definitely love being here with you guys. I'm going to chat a little bit about the legal jargon, but have fun too. Yeah, definitely. And you all See you next time. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718.
we would be honored to serve you.